the worship, actually, I'm looking straight at Emily, the worship this morning was, so, well, so far, anyway, was great. Um, a, it took me back to the days, some of those songs, to when I used to be kind of inhabiting here. I don't do that anymore, <laughs> I hasten to add. Um, but it was, I think it was also really, yeah, just that whole message of, of God, God reigns, God's in charge. So some of this stuff I'll talk about, you can sometimes think, what's our place in this? But the important message is underlying this, God's in charge, however, we have a part to play. So I've been asked to talk about sustainability, a huge topic. All I can do is scratch the surface. So the, the, hopefully this will start conversations both here uh, within church, within families and in the, in, the, in the wider world. I'm Stephen. For those of you who don't know me, a lot of you, I know a lot of you do know me because we've been part of this church both in Resound and BCF for years. But if you don't know me, um, I'm also married to Cathy, our finance officer and general doing lots of other stuff in, the, in Resound. Um, I'm an engineer. My, my, my job is an engineer. I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, but part of that, I'm also passionate about the environment. I'm passionate about uh, justice. I'm passionate about ethical living. And that's something that has evolved over time. And I guess inspired a bit by the talks we had during January about calling and uh, identity, I'll take a little step back on some of my uh, how I've got to this position and my thinking. But first... It's really topical that I'm talking about this because two days ago, uh, school kids, students were marching, uh, striking, um, whether it's really a strike, that's a separate discussion to have, but they were striking for climate change and it's their generation that will inherit the legacy we leave behind. So, yeah, I fully support what they're doing because they're getting it on the agenda, they're getting it into the news um, and that's why this is a really topical thing for us to be talking about. So, a bit wind the clock back to a bit of background to me I've always, I've grown up with a, a passion for wildlife, nature, all that sort of stuff the stuff you grow up with, uh, typically with uh, parents back in the 70s um, and but increasingly as I got into my teens, similar age to these guys um, I, I was studying A-level geography I would become more and more aware of not just the, the, the natural world but also the human impact of that world I learned the word desertification which is a really useful word because it's the longest word I know and it's great in... <laughs> Um, and things like that Um, on one family holiday we went to this place called the CAT Centre the Centre for Alternative Technology in West Wales and it was back then it was a bit of a hippie commune it's got a caravan that probably looks a bit like Paul and Claire's Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was was really radical living but it gave me it sort of inspired me so this is what there there are people who who are Back, even back in the 70s and early 80s, were living alternative lifestyles, conscious that the way the, the West and the world in the West, the lifestyles in the West were moving, was not, well, not sustainable. Um, and yeah, it was radical, and I didn't sign up for a life like that, thanks. Um, but there was this stuff from that that I picked up on uh, and sort of carried forward. Uh, in parallel to that, at a similar age, I became a Christian. I, I grew up in a, again, the 70s, generally, we kids of our age, had probably more awareness of God and more general Bible teaching than kids do now. So I had a general understanding. My granddad was also a Methodist minister. So I knew of God. Uh, I made a commitment to Christ at 13. But those two bits of my life, the, the environmental side and my Christian life, were, were totally separate. I, they didn't seem to join together. And in fact, probably the only time I heard Christians talking about the environment They'll be just talking. They'll be quoting Revelation 21, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And, they, and so, it, and I, I never, I didn't reconcile that that disconnect. 
And it was only when we moved to, to Bristol and became part of BCF and joined the social justice group. Some of you, I'm just going around the room to see who would have been in it, but certainly Mary Evans and Linda and Pauline and others would have been part of the social justice group. We talked about big issues of, of social justice. Some of that was fair trade. Some of that was Jubilee 2000, which was a, a, obviously a big thing in the late, late 90s. Um, but also talked about the environmental impact of, of, of our lives, but also how that influences other people. And probably the one of the biggest drivers in that was Roger and Angie Allen. Roger and Angie Allen went out to Zambia to teach in Chengola school for a while. And the, the, the lifestyle they saw out there, the, the, the difficulties with just getting hold of clean water and power supplies, they realised how fragile life is and how much we take all the resources we have for granted and the luxurious we, life we live back in, uh, in the UK uh, and in the developed West. Um, they saw a whole load of other global injustices, but that was one particular one that, that struck home. And so when they came back, they were the real powerhouse behind the social justice group. And it was really great form. We could talk those things through and understand how the, uh, the environmental issues affect, affect people day to day, particularly in developing countries. I'll get onto that in a bit later. Now, my working life, so that was kind of my upbringing in Christian life. But my working life uh, has had a, a similar pattern in terms of separating the two. So my early, early career, we first moved to Bristol, actually my first graduate job, I was made redundant from in about three months because of the previous recession. So we had a, we'd bought a house, got married, did things that everybody did back in the Thatcher era, got get married, buy a house, 15% interest rates, and I then lost a job. And people like Pete and Julie Ricketts were real godsends, literally, and uh, gave me things to do and paid me for doing the jobs that I probably shouldn't have been paid to do. Um, but I then started my proper engineering career, and uh, I worked as an engineer in various industries, and shock horror, putting money on the table. Some of that was oil and gas, some of that was chemical and um, food and dairy industries, all sorts of things. And so like my Christian faith, the two kind of ran in parallel. I was doing a day job that was great engineering, fascinating stuff, but wasn't know, meeting my heart's desire to do stuff that was more sustainable. Since then, thankfully, um, I, I've been able to move jobs and I now work in a place where I design buildings, um, some of which are the images is our office up in Aztec West, which I was played a major hand in designing. It's, at its day, 10 years ago when it was built, it was one of the lowest energy buildings in Bristol. So I've been able to start to influence things in terms of the energy sector and what I do. And more recently, um, nuclear power plants. There's a whole separate debate to be had about nuclear power, and I'll happily have that, but not this morning. Um, but some of my job today is, is decommissioning the legacy, so I know about the, the issues of old nuclear. I also know about the issues of new nuclear. The fact it's not, yes, it's not renewable, it's low carbon. Like I say, that's a whole separate debate, and I could talk for hours on that and happily have a, a discussion uh, or even a heated debate over a drink sometime. Okay, so that's probably enough about me. So we get on to the, the crux of I don't know, what I want to talk about, really, which is why is sustainability an issue for us? Why can't we just carry on as we are and just ignore it? Um, so some, some climate facts, just to go through a few things, um, and the slide on, behind me so illustrates some of the more extreme things, whether it's wildfires or droughts or um, extreme storms. Climate change is happening. And I don't want to assume that you all know the drivers behind that, so a very quick snapshot in terms of the key issues on climate change is, is carbon emissions. We produce lots of CO2. CO2 actually as a, as, a, as a gas is helpful. It's a greenhouse gas. It keeps the earth warm. Too much CO2 keeps it too warm. 
the reason it's called a greenhouse gas is the analogy is a greenhouse, the sun comes in through the glass, warms up the space, but the heat then doesn't go the other way out through the glass. CO2, a greenhouse gas, does pretty much the same thing. So it's like a, a thick duvet around the earth, but we're building up too thick. We've got the togs, as I was thinking, that's on the fly. The, the tog rating, my mother-in-law loves talking about tog ratings of duvets, um, which I don't. But it's, it's as if the tog rating is getting higher, uh, we, yet we don't need it. We want a, a, a more lightweight duvet around the earth. So the earth is heating up. Is that messed up? Yes, yeah, sorry, that came up with error message. If you are listening to this on the podcast, the Mac had a wobble. Um, <laughs> Not Mac, the Mac, uh, <laughs> just to clarify. Um, where was I? Yeah, so the Earth's heating up. The IPCC, so the Intergovernment uh, Panel on Climate Change, and a whole load of other experts, the Met Office, numerous other people, are saying we are close to hitting the, the 1.5 degree C um, increase in global temperatures. And it's recognised by most climate scientists, there are a few sceptics, um, but by most, that when we hit that level, we're going to hit, A, it's going to be difficult to come back from that level, but also the impacts of climate change are significant and significant influence on man. And by, by way of example, the Met Office recently just uh, released figures that say that in the 10 years of t from 2014, so now, through to 2023, will be the warmest since records began in 1850. And on the back of that, again, those images imply some of the issues. We'll see rising sea levels. We're going to see dr more droughts, more heat waves, more wildfires, more extreme storms, more hurricanes and tornadoes, floods um, and loss of habitat. Pretty devastating stuff, particularly if you're, you're affected by those things. Aside from um, the impacts of climate change, there's, there's other environmental things that are going on that man has a significant, or mankind, humanity has a significant impact on. And that is the, the loss of bees and other pollinating insects through the, the overuse of pesticides or the, or the use of pesticides generally. Through pollution and the impact that has on, on human health through toxins and particulates. I won't get you to put your hand up if you drive a diesel car, but you know what I mean if, you, if you've seen the stuff in the news about that. Um, plastic pollution. Anybody that's seen Blue Planet will know all about that and deforestation of loss of habitat, where we, our demand for stuff, our demand for products and for timber is seeing whole swathes of rainforests and other parts of the world being cut back and stripped of, the, of basic ecosystems that are essential to, to the planet's health. The IPCC, so this is the intergovernment, uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, try saying that, say that there, there are four things that have the most damaging impact on the environment. It's energy generation, land use, cities industry. And they seem like really big things that we can't influence, but actually we can. Christian Aid have a thing called the Big Shift, where they're, they're starting to, to lobby organisations and encouraging individuals to get involved in, in, in lobbying because there needs to be a big shift away from the way we source and the way we finance energy. And, th and this isn't just to replace energy sources that currently exist, so our, the energy supplies we have in the UK, but there are over a billion people in the world that have no access to electricity. So to increase that electricity generation across the world for those who are impoverished in developing countries, it's got to be done in a renewable, sustainable way rather than just building more fossil fuel power plants. And one thing that Christian Aid pick up on, for example, uh, for those of you with an HSB bank account, this isn't to condemn you, but I'll just mention this as an example. Uh, um, the HSBC bank claims to be a climate leader, say Christian Aid, but they still fund uh, new coal projects across the globe. So Christian Aid is saying, if, you're, if, you, if you've got a bank account with the HSBC, great, 
you've got a much louder voice than they have because you're already banking with them, you're a customer, lobby them, tell them that you're not happy with them funding coal and, and fossil fuel projects, lobby them to encourage their investors to invest in renewables and more sustainable forms of energy. For example, yeah, it's also willing, HSBC is still willing to fund coal um, projects in Vietnam, Bangladesh and Indonesia, and these are three countries who are most susceptible to the impacts of climate change. So it makes it doubly um, um, annoying that they're doing that. On a more personal level, there's a whole load of lifestyle choices we can make, um, whether it's what you eat, where, where your food comes from, what you buy, how much you buy, how much you consume generally. All this stuff has an impact on the environment. A lot of it because it goes back to energy, because energy is used to produce things. And, and for me, and I guess this is the realisation and the stuff we talked about um, going back to the social justice group several years ago, was the fact that this is it's important for the earth, it's important for nature and for animals and all that sort of thing, but most importantly for me, it's, it's God's creation um, that we're, look, we're called to be stewards of, but it also impacts people's lives. People like those in Bangladesh and other low-lying countries where the impacts of climate change and drought and flood and sea, ri sea level rises have more of an impact on them and they're least able to do anything about it. So I'll talk about, that's a bit about the context. It's, as I said, it's, not, it's, a, it's a big subject and it can, can get quite a heavy, depressing subject, but remember, God reigns in all this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who's a German pastor and theologian in the Second World War, Actually, he died in a concentration camp literally a few days, a few weeks before the end of the war. He wrote this while in prison, and while he was writing it about Nazism and the rise of the Third Reich at that time, I think it's equally applicable to the whole issue of climate change. I'll read it out. There's some big words, but I'll, um, I'll read it. There are people who, who regard it as frivolous, and some Christians think it's impious for anyone to hope and prepare for a better earthly future. They think that the meaning of present events is chaos, disorder, and catastrophe. And in resignation and, and pious escapism, they surrender all responsibility for reconstruction and future generations. It may be the day of judgment will dawn tomorrow. In that case, we'll, we'll gladly stop working for a better future, but not before. And I guess that that's parallels my, some of my early conversations and awareness of people talking about a new heaven and new earth. It's that that's great, and that's a great thing to aim for, but it's we're here, we're now, and we should continue to strive to, to make this earth and the earth, God's creation, that, that he's called us to be stewards of, as good a place as it can be, as safe a place as it can be. Sadly, there are still some Christians, particularly, and James, James isn't here because I'm sure he'd agree, um, there's some um, Christians, particularly evangelicals in the US, who are very much, very much climate sceptics and probably uphold the view that the new heaven and new earth and why do we care about the, the environment. But on that point, so what does the Bible have to say about the environment uh, directly or indirectly. James mentioned um, recently passages in Leviticus that give us guidance on agriculture, so allowing new trees to develop and, and the whole principle of Sabbath rest. You don't just keep taking fruit from trees, you don't keep harvesting crops, you leave land fallow. The Bible's, uh, particularly Leviticus, is full of uh, good stewardship to maintain a healthy balance between fertility of plants, fertility of the land and animals. Uh, and this really is, is the core of good stewardship, is God's provided us some fantastic resources in, in the world for us to use, but we need to manage those and manage those well and keep things in balance. But we live in a world that, that generally doesn't want to follow those rules. We live in a world that, in a consumerist 21st century society where it's about me, it's about 
I want the latest, I want the biggest. I want all that stuff, and I want it now. And I want to be able to order it from my home, and I want it delivered to my door at the time I want when I'm there. Uh, and it's, it's great, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love the fact we live in the 21st century and there's all this technology and there's some amazing things we can do, but it can, we can take it too far. And yeah, and generally the world tells us we need more, we need better, we need larger. But what does scripture tell us? So Matthew 6, 25, 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It also says in in verses 32, 33, which I haven't got on the screen, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Also, one of my other favourite verses is Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly and with your God. And my understanding of those verses is that we shouldn't be drawn into the worldview of the latest thing. We should be satisfied with less, satisfied with enough, um, with God's provision and the security that, that he and the Holy Spirit bring us. And I'm not say- what I'm not saying is give everything away. Go back to the mouldy green caravan and live a life that is quite extreme. Yeah, we live in the 21st century UK. It's, we, live, we, uh, we have so much. Life is very luxurious. And we are, we are, by the very nature that we're in this room and in this country, we are, by the, in a worldview, we are very well off. That's, that's a fact. And maybe the fact that one of the, the biggest TV shows on Netflix now is about decluttering implies that other people in the world are reaching the same conclusion, that we have got just too much stuff. And... Yeah, we, people will get rid of stuff, declutter, and just so they can acquire more. So how much more should we as Christians think beyond just the, the worldview of, oh, let's declutter, let's get rid of stuff? Several years ago, I had a conversation with someone in the church about environmental issues, and they didn't get it that, that it, this was a priority. They saw that spreading the gospel and bringing people to, to Christ was, was our primary duty. Jesus tells, uh, tells us this, that there are two greatest commandments. Well, in Matthew 12, 30 to 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So, the, yeah, for example, the Filipino fisherman who scrapes a living on low-lying coastal land, he doesn't have the, the means to move or to change his lifestyle. That's what he does. And yet, rising sea levels will impact where he lives, will force him to to move, because um, the Philippines, for example, is one of the countries most affected by climate change. More than half the population live in disaster-prone areas, with many of their cities vulnerable to rising sea levels. And these people, as much as our neighbour, as the person who's sat next to you or lives next door to you, so wherever they are on their planet, so our actions, when Jesus tells us to love our neighbour as ourselves, we should be loving our, all our global neighbours as well, in as much as we can. So as I see it, as Christians, if we're following scripture and Jesus' teachings, we should be living as sustainable life as possible, one that balances our needs with those of our worldwide neighbours and also keeping in balance the stewardship of God's creation. He's giving it, uh, giving it back to him as he's given it to us as best we can. Okay, what can we do? I've got a few, few suggestions here. There are a whole load more, so 
this is an opportunity to be creative. I just want to sow a few seeds, a few things to think about, but there's lots more we could do. Firstly and foremost, talk to people. We had a, a meeting in our house best part of a year ago on the back of the whole thing about plastics and seeing what we can do. Um, Robin and Di were there. Various people, I'm looking around the room, I can't see, were, were there. And we talked about what we could do to reduce plastics, what different people were doing in terms of using less I know, chemicals to clean stuff in their house. Mon- yes, it's mundane, but it, it's little things that do make a difference. So firstly, talk. Talk to people, people, people you know within Resound, friends and family, and actually show, I think it's really vital that we as members of the church, as Christians, show non-Christians that the environment is something we're passionate about and, and concerned about. Because it can seem, like I was saying earlier on, that it's something the church has almost put to one side and forgot about. There are, there are initiatives, don't get me wrong, there are initiatives that are starting. There's a whole, the Church of England is looking at a thing called Joy in Enough, just being satisfied that we have enough and we don't need to acquire more. Christian Aid is doing some great work, but sometimes we're way behind our non-Christian friends in, in our views and our concerns about the, the planet and the environment. So, yeah, talk to people. Also, it's a, it's a great uh, area of common ground. You want to know what to talk to your non-Christian friends about? A lot of them will be passionate about the environment, about the planet. And lobby, I talked earlier on about, for example, the Christian Aid things with, with certain banks... And there's a whole load of information about different uh, organisations you can, you can lobby using um, advice from places like Christian Aid, and there'll be other, other organisations that do a similar thing. Contact your local MP, your local councillor. Even consider standing as a local councillor if you want to get really involved into politics. But yeah, go to the Christian Aid website. There's a whole load of resources on there. There's a, Twitter's a great font of knowledge for... Um, and other social media, great font of knowledge for those sorts of things as well. But some of the real practical stuff um, is... Consider how you travel. Reduce your, your travel by car, maybe. Walk more. Use public transport. If you, if you do have a car, or if you're looking to replace your car, consider a hybrid, consider an electric car. I don't think Gold Star to anybody that actually has got a hybrid or electric car in the car park. I, don't think, I think that's one thing we haven't currently got in our car park, is anything that is in any way electric. Um, so... Yeah, apart from a bike, there's, there's a few bikes around. Um, but yeah, that doesn't count because I'd be on that list, so that'd be cheating. Yeah, so and consider, consider your other modes of transport. Do you really need to fly somewhere? I know I've had to fly places with work recently. Um, so I've, I'd, and, it, and, it, and this is the things where there's a, there's a challenge to me personally as much as everybody else. And I can get torn between the having to do stuff and flying places and travelling by car and other things how do we reconcile that? So this isn't an easy thing, and there will be things that are constant tension, like, I guess, like a lot of stuff in, in our Christian life. The amount of meat you eat, it's recognised that meat is a major contributor to um, carbon emissions. Again, it's a whole subject area, which I'll happily discuss over a um, <laughs> drink somewhere, but not, not a burger, no. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole debate there in terms of where the meat comes from, how, how sustainably it's sourced. Is it, I don't know, a lamb that's been reared on a hillside in Wales, or is it something that's intensively produced in a shed somewhere? So it, there's, there's, that, yeah, there's a whole range of in, I don't know, carbon impact of meat, but general principle of reducing your meat consumption is a good thing. It's also better for your pocket and probably better for you health-wise as well. So why not consider that? I've talked about technology. And shopping generally, IKEA, I have a love-hate love relationship with IKEA, um, 
And actually, this is my favourite view, it's the exit, but... <laughs> <laughs> but the great thing about IKEA is actually that their, their products are, very, are as sustainable as they, as they can be. So, again, it's getting the balance right of what we consume. Yeah, consume less generally. Uh, the whole thing about peak stuff that we, we seem to have reached as a society. Do we really need more energy? Where do you source your energy from? Where, I don't know, do you get your, get your oil, not oil, do you get your gas and electricity from ecotricity or green energy or another supplier who does purely renewable um, electricity supplies? Those things are good things to consider. I could then go, I could go on to other things like know, buy things with less plastic packaging, take your own bags and containers to, to the shop you normally shop in. Actually, going back to the lobbying thing, and sometimes it can feel that we can't change things. Cathy went to our local supermarket last year and rather than get buy meat over the counter or fish over the counter and it be wrapped in double plastic bags which then end up having to go in the bin, Cathy took in an old uh, plastic pot, an old um, ice cream tub or something that we've reused numerous times and asked the um, person on the counter if they could put it into that and they were a bit unsure at first because nobody's ever done that. It's going to have the wrong barcode on, how does that work? Um, but they did it. And two weeks later, when Cathy went back in, similar, a similar conversation, um, except this time, there was a, a sign on the wall behind saying, yeah, we'll now allow people to bring their own containers in to, to put things in. And this is a high street supermarket. I'm not going to name names. Um, but it shows you can... And there was apparently somebody else had done a similar thing. And so they had a couple of people asking if they could use their own containers and they changed their in-house policy there and then. So little things like that, we can change things. It's not a case of... Big brands, big organisations, we, we can't influence, we can. So whether it's the, the, the kids marching, the students marching, or whether it's us asking our local shop to change something, we can. Other, there's other things like clothing, uh, fast fashion. Um, I'm not going to make any comments about people's fashion today. But the whole principle of fast fashion, where people buy stuff online, um, wear it a few times and get rid of it, wherever getting rid of is... That, for me, isn't, isn't sustainable. So just thinking about the clothes you buy, that you reuse, even the materials they're made of, how sustainable are they? You can get shirts made out of bamboo. This is made out of bamboo. It's not, it doesn't feel like a stick at all. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and even just, just repairing stuff. I don't know if you know that every, the first Saturday of every month in um, All Saints Church in Fishponds, there's a repair cafe. You can turn up with anything that is broken, and they will try and fix it. So they have various people, whether it's people who do electrics, people who can repair clothing. You can go there, no cost, no nothing. It's all voluntary, and they will repair things for you. It's not just the Fishponds one. They also do in other places around, around Bristol during the month. But the first Saturday of every month is in, is in Fishponds, so it's nice and local. So if you break things, or if, if something that's, that you think you can't repair, give it a try. There's a whole load more, but I won't go on anymore. Um, but going back to what I, what, where I started, I guess, really I want to encourage you to think about sustainability, think about stewardship of the earth, think about the impacts it has on other people, not necessarily locally, but globally, but also that God is in control. We have a part to play, but God is in control. He, he, God does reign. And this is for now, but it's also for future generations. It's for the legacy we leave behind, the legacy we leave for the generations to follow. Hopefully I've sown a few seeds, and maybe out of that list of things, um, there might be something you want to consider, even if it's just for Lent. I know we don't really do Lent stuff. I, I, I got into the habit the last few years of giving up something for Lent, usually alcohol. Um, but why not 
try and live with less plastic, try buying things differently, or, or just not buying at all during Lent. Um, so yeah, have a think about that, pray about it, see if um, the Holy Spirit shows you what, what is the right thing you should be doing. I'll end on, end on two things. So Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And it's great to remember that, that we're here for a very short time, a time when we can influence things for good and for bad quite significantly. Um, well, we want to be forces for good, but ultimately this is, the earth is the Lord's. It, he's created it, he's given it to us to, to be his stewards in it, and we want to do the best we can. I just pray and to finish then. Lord, this is a, I acknowledge this is a huge issue, it's a huge subject, um, and it's one we can get. I don't know, you can drown in the stuff in the news. Every day it seems there's something about the environment in the news. But Lord, help us to hold that lightly and just focus on you. Focus on the fact that the earth is yours, that you do reign supreme. Help us to remember that, but, uh, but also be inspired and remember that we're called to be stewards, stewards of creation. And help us to play our part. So, Lord, just Holy Spirit, just yeah, show us individually, show me, show everybody in this room what we can do in our lives to influence, to change, to make yeah, make our lives as sustainable, as focused on you, but as focused on caring for your creation as possible. Thank you, Lord. Amen.